The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Your old business partner and her husband, they pretty much fired you from the company and just took it away from you. My name is Carol and I am the inventor of GelX and creator of Montreal. I don't think that my business partners would be very keen or happy on me telling this story because this essentially dismantles their story. We're the three musketeers, things are going great. The arguments don't start until you start making money. This is so layered. It's not a subjective story. It's literally the cold, hard truth. 95% of what was said in the lawsuit is a complete sham. They accused me of embezzling. They accused me of stealing money. My world literally just ended in that very moment. Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Podcast, aka your holistic guide to being a wealthy woman. I'm your host, Donnie, and on this show, I talk to the dopest woman experts, entrepreneurs, influencers, corporate baddies, and occasional wildcard guests while they share their wisdom from the experiences that brought them to where they are today. So let's upgrade our lives together. But more importantly, let's get wealthy. On this episode, I am speaking with Carol Ma. She is the co-founder of Opry Nail, and she is the inventor of Gel X. She recently went viral on TikTok for coming out and telling her story about how her co-founder and old business partners fired her and stole her company away from her. And the way that they went about it was honestly despicable. And she couldn't truly express everything and tell her full story in just a few minutes in a TikTok video. So I invited her to come on the show so she could share her full story in depth and tell us what really happened so that she could clear up any misconceptions and so that we as her supporters could also fully understand the situation and see all sides of the story. Now, this episode is a bit longer than our typical episodes, so I have included timestamps in the description of this episode, just in case you want to skip to certain parts of the show. The first half of the show, she is pretty much giving a masterclass on how to build a revolutionary business. She explains exactly what she did step-by-step step to build Opry to what it is today. And then in the second half of the interview, she details what happened between her and her business partners and how they stole the company from her, as well as what is currently happening in her fight to get what she is owed from her old business partners. I definitely think you'll enjoy this episode, and I know this was really therapeutic for Carol to get out all of this that she has been holding in. And the great thing is, she's a very detailed storyteller, so you are about to get all the tea. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Thank you so much for being here today, Carol. This is a, I feel like this is a, hev- this this might be a heavy interview or a really like deep interview. <laughs> Oh, you're feeling the energies already. Yeah. <laughs> thank but you thank so you. much for having me. Thank you so much. Of course. No, I, so as soon as I saw your TikTok video come across my feed, I immediately, I was like, oh my gosh, you have to come on the show because I could tell there was so much to your story 
And a three minute video just doesn't do it. And people, I just saw there were so many questions, like question after question. And so I was like, oh no, like you need space to like really explain everything so that people really get it, you know? And with a really good storyteller who can really take all of the details and really, you know, tell the story in a very fair and equitable way. Yes, exactly. And as I was like digging further and like going through all your content, and then I saw that there was um, someone that used to work for the company that was also sharing her experience. I saw the court documents um, that are public. And I was just realizing like, okay, this is so layered. It's so layered and there's just so much to cover, but I really want to lay the picture out for people before we get into all of the things that I want to discuss with you, just so that they have a full understanding. So this is like, you guys were business partners. So you, you started this company, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Opera Nails. I'm, I'm obsessed. I have to say that. I, me have and you tried it friends, before? Oh yeah. Me and all my friends, we do our nails with your kit all the time. <laughs> Yes, I'm obsessed. Um, So that's why also, too, it kind of hit home because I'm like, oh, my gosh. And that's just like a running joke with my friends. Like since I was a teenager, they're like, you're your own nail lady because you you just always do nails. So I'm obsessed with nails. And so, yeah. So um, when I saw this, I was like, oh, my gosh. So you started this company with a woman that you met that was a nail tech. And she... um, you all just really hit it off and you guys became Mm -hmm. friends outside of Mm -hmm. just the business stuff. Right. Um, yeah, we were friends for two years. Um, she was my nail technician for two years and you know how, when you go get your nails done, your nail technician is kind of like a therapist in a sense. Um, and you go off, uh, offload everything that's been bothering you in the last couple of weeks. And then you're kind of, you, you become friends with your nail tech. It's one of one, one of your tribe. Exactly. Yeah. So for two years, you guys are building this bond. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you end up starting this company together, right? Mm-hmm. And after you start the company, you know, through trial and error, you guys end up creating this really big community of people that love your products and mm-hmm. nail techs love your products. You change the whole industry pretty much. Um, that was the intention. Yeah. <laughs> and now, um, fast forward to last year, right? It was last year when everything happened. Yes. Last mm-hmm. year, they and um, her, your old business partner and her husband, which he ended up mm-hmm. becoming a business partner as well, they mm-hmm. pretty much fired you from the company and just took it away from you without mm-hmm. you expecting it. And mm-hmm. so I'm sure that this feels personal in a lot of ways, you know, this whole experience. So, so personal. I, I- I don't think people can really, really understand the gravity of the situation that I'm in unless they truly walk the mile in my shoes because I was so young when I started the business and my business partners, they're not from here. They are from, uh, from Taiwan and they grew up in Taiwan, uh, whereas I was uh, grown up here in America. And so there's already this cultural difference. They're also 10 years older than me. Um, so not only is there a cultural difference, but there's also a generational difference. And when you start a business that young at 24, um, you are just in a totally different mindset. You're in a, you're a baby mindset. You're basically a grown-up teenager uh, out there in the world trying to claim their stake 
And your mindset is not what it is in your 30s. So in the beginning, it was very much a family atmosphere. We were friends. We were really, really, really good friends. We literally started this out of our garage. And, you know, when you have no money, no nothing in the beginning, you band together. There's that camaraderie. There's that we're a family. We're tough. We can get through anything that life or business throws at us. And so we were really like a family and we operated like a family. When you're a business that small in the beginning, you don't have time. You don't have money to do things like how corporate companies can do things. And so you always think later on, I'm going to do that later on. Once the company gets to a certain size, um, then I can do all those things professionally. And we just got caught up. We just got caught up. The business grew so fast and there were so many mistakes and errors that were made along the way. Um, and that's why I want to come out with my story to really teach everybody um, what I have learned along the way so that anybody who wants to start a new business or has already started a new business and wants to take their business to an, the next level, they can know which potholes to avoid so they can have a smoother transition. I love that. Um, yeah. And so the one of the other reasons this resonated with me is because I went through um, an experience with an old business partner that I had. And we had built the company up, things grew fast, and then things ended not so well. And I was like, people need to hear these stories more. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, mm -hmm. it's so important to educate people because when you're first starting, everything's so exciting and you don't always, mm -hmm. you know, cross your T's, dot your I's, make sure everything mm -hmm. is set up the way it needs to be set up to protect mm -hmm. yourself later. And so that was mm -hmm. an issue I had as well. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to get into all this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there was this one quote that my business partner's husband had told us right in the beginning. I remember we were sitting in my garage at like chairs, tables in uh, a round circle. And we're just discussing about like our excitement, our hope for what the business is going to be. And I remember him saying that, oh, you know, business partners, they never argue in the beginning because there's no money. There's no money to argue over. So everybody's like best friends at the beginning. And I remember him saying, oh, the arguments don't start until there's money, until you start making money. And at that time, I could not understand what that meant. But that was uh, foreshadowing seven years ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So let's like go back just like we were talking about before. So you started, um, you had a love for nails always, right? And then you, yes. yes. And so you were going to your old business partner as your nail tech for two mm -hmm. years, right? So mm -hmm. how did that relationship start and what made you guys even decide to start the business? So, uh, yes, I've always loved doing nails. I'm a huge DIYer in all areas of my life. And I was a poor university um, student. I went to Parsons on 80% of grants. Um, my parents aren't, aren't from here. I was basically a parachute, a parachute kid. Uh, I grew up here without my parents, by myself, with my aunt's family all of my life. And I would travel back to Asia uh, twice a year to go see them. And so I'm very, very used to being by myself and being very independent. And so being a poor college kid, <laughs> Uh, I did not have the pockets that my other uh, classmates had, other classmates. They were bringing Birkin bags and throwing them on the floor and, you know, living their life. I did not have that. So I would purchase my own products on Amazon and do my own nails um, at home. And so I've always just done that. And I love doing that. After I moved back from New York to LA to get married, start a family, I told my husband, I was like, I would like to get my nails done. And I really, really loved that Japanese nail art style. So I went in search of Japanese nail art 
the salon. Uh, Japanese art uh, type of salons are typically the more expensive ones uh, compared to your one of the mill kind of like strip mall salon. And so me being the frugal person that I was, I wanted to find some place that, you know, was a little bit more affordable. And so my business partner actually had, was running a, a salon out of her garage. And so my friend, uh, my, my, my husband's friend had said, oh, I get my nails done from this lady who does them really, really well. She does them out of her garage. And it's basically a half price because it's run out of a garage. And so I was like, oh, I must check this out. <laughs> And it was great. That's why I got my nails done for two years. The price was great. The work was great. Everything was great. And I, we became fast friends. We became fast friends because we actually have similar outside personalities. I would say that our interior personalities are completely, completely different. But outside personality, uh, we do have some similarities. And so we really connected on that front. She's a Leo. I'm also a Leo. She's a go-getter. I'm also a go-getter. And we really, really just bonded. And it really kind of just came out of left, uh, just out, out of the blue, because I during my chats, I would tell her about how I was working for my husband at that time. But I had always, always as a kid, always wanted to be a business owner or entrepreneur. And actually, I've always wanted to invent something. As a young child, I was obsessed with inventing something. And as a child, I was thinking, but everything that's already useful or necessary to human life has already kind of been invented. The toothbrush, the wheel, a car, a mattress, these types of like really fundamental things that are so significant to modern humans' lives today. And so I always kept that in, back, in the back of my mind of, okay, always looking out, always looking out for opportunities. And the opportunity came in the form of the sample that she had brought back from one of her travels back to Taiwan. Now, I went to Parsons and got a BFA in fashion design, and I worked in the fashion industry for a year and a half after I graduated. It was the experience that told me, uh, 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 I do not want to be in the fashion industry any longer. And so I left the fashion industry and I was like, okay, let me look out for opportunities in other industries. Now, when my business partner came one day to our session and then said, Carol, I have this amazing prop that I must try on you. Are you willing to test it out? I was like, Absolutely. And back then, there was no such thing as non-wipe top coats. All top coat back then had that tacky disbursement layer that you had to wipe off with rubbing alcohol to then reveal the high gloss shine. And so she was like, it is amazing. She did my nails, put that non-wipe top coat on my nails. I cured it in the LED lamp for 30 seconds. I will never forget, I will never forget taking my hands out of that LED lamp and it was just like instant high gloss and I remember just being like wow yeah this is magic magic and I remember just that entire week I was just at home just like staring at my nails like oh my goodness this is wow this is sorcery like wow who created this and I was like America needs to know about this and instantly the brand of such we popped into my head because they were a, a brand in the nail industry that only sold one product and I was like oh my goodness America needs to know about this. I, I, I need to get the word out. We're going to do this. And then so at my next session, I went back to her and I was like, we need to get the word about this. We, we need to start selling this product. This is amazing. And that is literally how it started. Wow. Literally. I saw 
how many opportunities that there were in the nail industry because it is a very it was a very unsaturated market at that time in 2015 and i saw so many pockets of opportunity within this industry and i was like this is it wow and you know what um i i i think that it's so important for everyone, like when they're starting a business to have somebody on the team that is a visionary like that, because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she, of course she had the good idea. Right. Mm -hmm. But like you were able to see how far it could go and how, you know, like the, the opportunity, like you said, and Mm -hmm. you, you were able to like push it to the next level once you guys came together. So what made you guys like, like, did she ask you like, Hey, do this business with me? Or what did you ask her? Like, how did that happen? So how it happened was we we just always had this very symbiotic energy, some very symbiotic energy between us. And she always knew that I was looking out to do something. She always knew that I wanted to start a new business. Um, And so at that time, then when I went back to her and I said, oh my God, America needs to know about this. She was like, do you want to do it? should, Should we sell this? And I was like, we should totally, like I absolutely know how to get this rolled out and create it into a thing. And then at that time we were like two little kitty girls and we were thinking, oh my God, later on, this is gonna like balloon into like a whole color collection. Later on, we can come out with like hand lotions and creams and like turn it into like a whole brand. Like we were literally just little girl, like very little girl energy, like playing Barbie dolls and like, oh my God, we're gonna create this like fantastical thing. And that's truly, truly like how the energy of how it started. Wow, okay. So then after that point, you guys, that was the first product you rolled out with, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. That was the first product. And it was so funny because I actually am a very risk adverse person. Mm-hmm. And so I'm willing to take risks. I'm willing to take risks to get the rewards. And I am overbrimming with confidence um, at all times. And I am very impulsive. I make decisions very quickly. And I'm just this type where if you want to do it, try it. If it doesn't work out, pick yourself up, dust yourself up. And do something else. Yeah. And so what's, what, what's, what's to lose when you have nothing to lose, you have no fear. And at 24 with nothing to lose, because I didn't have another business, I didn't have other things. Um, I was like, okay, let's do this. And then, so what happened was that we, I was like, okay, we're going to sell this one product and then we will just take it from there. That's kind of how I do things. I do things on the fly and I, I, I follow my intuition and I follow like just the things that get downloaded into my brain and I just do it. You know, I don't, I think I plan ahead, but I don't overthink. I don't overthink myself into a hole. So I'm like, let's just come out with this one product. Let's be a Sech V. And then, hey, if Sech V can survive off of one product, why can't we? And then, so we did our first trade show and then I was like, okay, one product is, you know, it looks really lonely. It looks really, really sad. And uh, we, how can we justify doing this one booth and doing this one trade show for one product? And then, so I was at that time, I was thinking, how should I craft the brand? What's, what's the brand story? What's, what, 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 what's the umbrella that I want every, to gather everybody under? And then I thought to myself, well, color, every nail brand does color. Every nail brand, that's almost the first product that they come out is either nail polish or gel polish. And I wanted to do that, but we had no money. We literally had no money and it takes a lot of investment to do color, a lot of skews, a lot of different formulas um, and a lot, lot to undertake. And so at that time I was like, okay, we're not gonna go down that route. Let's do everything else. 
because mm. all the other brands and all the other companies are focused on the color. Let's focus on all the other things that they're not focused on. Let's be the master um, at, at all the other niche uh, markets because that's where we. That's where I can play. That's where I have the money to play. That's where I have the capability to play. And once I grow and can compete with the big boys, then I'll do the color and that later on. And then that's when we thought, okay, nail art, what goes after color is nail art, whether or not you paint on or draw on a design or whether you put on embellishments in the form of crystals, rhinestones, and those type of things. And those all fall within that style guideline of Japanese nail art. Japanese nail art is very, very colorful, very fanciful, sometimes with a lot of bling and a lot of different accessories. And it just fits so well. And so our first launch was really the top coat and then the ionic gel and diamond gel. And this bundle was what I call the trio starter kit of the Opry brand. And it was intended to help other nail technicians do nail art very easily. You could use the ionic gel and the diamond gel um, to put on crystals and charms and get a very, very long lasting result in which they won't fall off. Um, like when you do regular nail polish and then you'll just put a rhinestone on there and then you'll just seal it with top coat, it will probably fall off in the next couple of days. But with the ionic gel and diamond gel, it was so secure. And then, then you layer it on, finish it with the top coat and boom, done. And so that really was the brand story um, in the very beginning. And we really rode that wave for about a year and a half. And now in the beginning, I was very, very wildly confident. And I was like, okay, we are going to sell the crap out of this top coat. And then, so we invested all of our money majority into the top coat and just a small number of like the other gels. Cause we knew that that wasn't going to sell as hot as the top coat because everybody needs top coat, whether or not you're doing rhinestones or crystals, if you're just doing a single gel manicure, you still need top coat. So we dumped all of our money into the top coat and in my garage, I literally had pallets and pallets of this top coat and me being the natural sales uh, salesperson that I was, I started to make my Excel list, started to make my Excel list. I started to Google yellow pages, Yelp. And I started to go city by city and start listing out, okay, what are all of the nail supply stores that are going to become my potential customer? Started cold calling. Hi, my name is Carol. I'm with Opera. I have this awesome new owner, not here. Owner, not here. Owner, not here. Owner is never there. The owner is never there. So then after two weeks, I'm like, okay, my plan is not really working out. Um, I have these pallets and pallets and pallets of awesome product in my garage that nobody seems to want to give me the time of day for. What do I do? I started panicking. <laughs> I was like, I've got to get this stuff out of my garage. And then so the gears started turning. Okay, how do I sell this? How do I get the word out? And then I decided to go with a two-prong approach. In the beginning, my approach was was only one avenue, which was sell in bulk, then rotate that money back into the, uh, reinvest that money back into the company and then continue on like that. No, nobody wanted my stuff. I had no brand. Nobody was going to give me shelf space. Nobody even wanted to entertain a phone call. And so I said, okay, we have to then diversify. I cannot dump all of my eggs into one basket because this is what happens. There's zero sales coming in. And then, so at that time, then I developed, uh, I decided to develop a second sales channel to diversify. And then that became the direct sales e-com sales channel. 
So then I split my efforts in which I would pick different cities, different key cities, and then I would bring my little box of samples and I would book myself a plane ticket. And then I would literally go door to door with my little box of samples. And then, okay, if the owner's not there, I will come back after lunch. And let me go get a coffee first and then I will be back. Oh, they're going to be back after two hours. I will be here. Then I would come back with my little box of samples. Like, let me just try this on you. You have to see how shiny it is. You have and then in the beginning, they were like, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, let me put this 12-pack that I've designed, a retail display, consignment three, no charge upfront. After you sell the bottles, then you pay me the money. Because I knew that once people tried it, they would come back for more. So I wasn't afraid of giving it for free because I knew it was going to sell. And I knew that once they tried it, they would be hooked. And then the orders would come in. And that's how I started with the wholesale. Now, that was still a slow traction, slow, slow traction. And then so on the e-com, my gear started to turn. And I said, okay, how can I sell this product that nobody knows about? That's not even a thing. We were truly the first brand to bring in an import and sell non-wipe top co at that time. So nobody knew it was a thing. I was on my phone surfing Instagram on a Saturday. And I come across this super grainy video. It was very short, eight second video, very grainy. And it was of one, one fingernail. And there was this little jar of this like metallic chrome powder. In the video, they take an eyeshadow wand and then they put it into the powder and then they rub it into the nail and then they dust it off. And it's like, boom, high gloss shine. Chrome metallic, actually very similar effect that I got when I saw the top coat, um, that, that, that feeling that I got. And I saw that video and I was like, oh my goodness, that is amazing. Mind blown. And then I found out that the way to use this product is you have to use it on non-white top coats. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I have all this non-white top coat in my garage. All I have to do is get this chrome powder and then I can bundle it together and sell my top coat. So we were also wow. the very first ones to import and sell chrome powder at that time. And so we imported and air shipped over chrome powder. And we were working with this one distributor at that time. And we, because we had no money to do our own booth, we had a little table within a larger nail distributor's booth. And we were selling our, we were trying to sell our top coat and the chrome powder at that time my stock had not come in it was all pre-orders i was doing demos at the treasure and be like you can't take it home right now but if you place an order now i will ship this to you within three weeks oh my <laughs> we gosh we sold out we drew wow. so many crowds at that trade show because all the nail techs were like oh my goodness what is this we sold out at that three-day trade show and i was like oh my goodness this is what it is then I went back uh, after the trade show, went back home, made sure that all my stock came in. I launched it on the website. I was, orders started flooding in. I paired the top coat with the chrome powder. It was very inexpensive. I think the whole bundle was like $20 or something. And so orders flooding in. And I was like, oh my goodness. And that was me in my kitchen, you know, packing all the orders, dropping them off to USPS. And that was truly how the business got started. That was how I started in e-com and things were great. We started to make like $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 a month. And I was like, oh my God, we're actually making money. That's After amazing. 
after about a year, the trend crashed. Mm-hmm. That's what trends do. They yep. don't last forever. I had not prepared for that because I thought that things could be for forever. And then when the trend died very quickly, the sales just like dropped off the cliff. And then we were like, oh no, because two months prior to that, I had just signed a lease. I had just signed a lease on an office, on a 2000 square foot office warehouse. Cause I was like, oh my God, things are going so great. And then the sales started to dwindle and drop to the point where we had about three months of operating cash left. And I'm literally standing there with my business partner in this new office warehouse that we had just signed the lease on. We were like, what yeah. do we do now? We didn't even have an overhead before now, but now we have to pay for the warehouse. <laughs> what do we do now? And we told ourselves, we were like, okay, you know what, Carol? This is, she showed me, she was like, we had a really good run this last year. You know, let's try one more thing. Let's try one more thing. And if it doesn't work out, then let's just chalk this up to a really fun experience. And, you know, it was still really fun to do this and a really great experience. So I was like, okay, you know what? That's great. So we sat down and we powwowed. And then we said, I asked her what problems or what issues within the professional nail community and and the salon community do you face as a business owner? Because all new inventions or all new ideas are supposed to solve the problem or alleviate something or provide convenience for something. So I really wanted to ask her in her opinion as a salon owner for that many years, what are some of the number one, like the biggest issues that you face and how can really well-designed products alleviate that for you? And she thought about it and then she was like, you know what? I have a lot of trouble scheduling nail extension appointments because it takes well over a year, uh, sometimes well over three years to properly train a person to do acrylic. And so even if you train all 10 nail techs to do acrylic, about half of those will then just bounce and go to another salon um, after a while. So you're out your investment in that training and the education. And that's why a lot of salon owners don't provide that because there's so much competition that if you provide that and then they just go somewhere else or just go open their own shop, and so people like to hoard their education and hoard their, their, their expertise and specialty for this reason. And she also said that out of those 10 techs who learn it, probably only two or three of them are going to do them really, really, really well. You can still do them. Are they going to be completely straight? Are they going to be completely smooth? Are they going to like be kind of wonky or like kind of, or are they going to be pro- properly structured so that they don't snap um, at the slight uh, like hit on the door or hit on, on, on the table? And so it's a major concern. And she was like, it's very difficult because I have a lot of customers that want to get nail extensions, but I don't have enough techs to fuel, to, to supply that demand. And so I was like, okay, this is a, this is something that, that we can find a solution for. And coincidentally at that time, I think, I I think a lot of other people in the industry were facing this issue as well. And so there were already new innovations that were coming out uh, to attack this issue. And at that time that we were thinking about this, the factories, the factories had developed this new product. And I don't know if you know about it, but it's the dual form product. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's still, it's like, it's called a dual form and it is like a plastic tip. However, the difference is that you have this type of semi hard um, or a semi hard gel that comes in the form of a tube. And oh, yes, you yes. Put that underneath the tip 
and then you put then you put that tip onto here and then you pop off the tip and then theoretically whatever is left over after you've popped the tip becomes your nail extension and then that plastic tip essentially is kind of like a mold to mm -hmm. the shape the length that you want and so the factories at that time had invented or developed that and were heavily heavily pushing this i would get emails after emails from all of these factories in china asking me to if i wanted to try this product we got some samples in we tried it uh, my business partner even went to a class up in canada and to learn this from a tech there she brought it back and she tried it on me and i just absolutely hated the product it was awful it was not convenient enough to really really warrant switching over to a completely new system and having to like learn this new new new, new technique and there were just so many other issues about it that it just didn't fit the bill. It just didn't fit its marketing shtick, which was one, two, three, boom, pop off the tip, done. Mm -mm. There were still so many more steps that you needed to take to get it to be perfect. And I was like, okay, why would people switch from acrylic then? They would just continue to do acrylic because it's basically the same thing, except yeah. more expensive. And because acrylic already been around for decades. And so the price started very, very, very low uh, for the raw materials. So with this new inventor, I was like, why would people pay more and then have to like spend education money to learn this thing that is really not even as good as the original invention? Um, I told my business partner, no, this is not it. Now, everybody else jumped on that bad wagon. Literally every other brand, there were so many brands at that time that then immediately after six months came out with their dual form products. Um, at that time, Jellish has was called coming out with their poly gel. This was all happening at the same time. Now, I don't know if Jellish actually invented the concept of poly gel or whether or not their patent is just only on their formulation for their version of poly gel. But this is what happens when you don't invent something by yourself and you take something that a factory invents and then remarket it, rebrand it is that you can try to pass it off as your own invention, your own thing, but very quickly in the next three to six months, the market is then going to be flooded with a million other copycat brands because these factories have to make money. They want to sell, sell, sell to as many brands that are then going to go out and sell their invention. And so I didn't, I also didn't jump onto the polygel wagon um, because polygel is a semi-hard formula and I just have this thing about hard gel and I just, I, it's not my preference. I just love soft gel so much. Mm -hmm. And then, so I told my business partner, nope, we're not also, we're also not going to jump onto that bandwagon. And then, so I was like, okay, so there's this now. And then there's this now, none of these are hitting the mark. How do we get it to hit the mark and to really do the one, two, three done, like how everybody is trying to claim. And then um, that was, this is actually a story that I've actually never told publicly to anybody. You're actually the very first person that is hearing the story. Um, and I don't think that my business partners would be very keen or happy on me telling this story because this essentially dismantles um, their story uh, of how all of this came to be about. But the truth of the matter if they want to continue to come at me that I'm not the inventor, that she's the inventor because she's the nail technician, I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth of the matter is that in the midst of all of this, she was flying to all of these different places on company dime to go learn all these different things and bring back her expertise so that we could then formulate a, a new invention. She 
took this one trip back to Taiwan and she took this class from this one male educator uh, who's pretty well known in Taiwan, within, within Taiwan. And she came back with his product. His product was also a nail extension type of kit product, but it was using a very, very thin plastic tip that you then needed to overlay his gel on top of it to then finish it off. She came back with that product and then she tried it on me and I was like, what is the point? Like, what is the point of that added step of having to put the gel on top afterwards? I was like, what is the point of all this? All these new inventions that are supposed to make it one, two, three, done. It's not one, two, three, done. There's a fourth and fifth and sixth step. And I was like, it's make it make sense. Like these things are not making sense. The light bulb at that moment clicked in my head. One, two, three, done. How do I achieve that one, two, three, done? It needs to be done after the third. Yes. And that is literally where the idea of Jellex came to be about. I was like, what if, what if we just had a product that was, okay, you want a coffin tip today? You want a stiletto tip in a medium or long or short? Boom, instantly done. The nail tech does it, then doesn't need to sit there and file, 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 cut, 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 and then learn how to shape all those different uh, all those different shapes. What if it was already done for you and truly in a way where you didn't have to overlay anything on the top and it was truly one, two, three, done? That is literally how the concept and the invention of Gel X came to be about. Wow. Okay, mm -hmm. there's so much that you said that I want to touch on. <laughs> So, <laughs> I barely scratched the surface in my TikTok videos. I barely scratched the surface of everything. So I was very, very excited to have this opportunity to join yes. the podcast to really be able to give a lot more context and details. Well, thank you for sharing that. That gives us so much more insight. And even, okay, because as a consumer, I know that like, so many, so many of me and my friends, we just get frustrated when we go into these nail salons because they want to push you in a different direction. And you're like, no, I want acrylic. I want acrylic. And they're like, no, 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 mm -hmm. you get this. But that is why we didn't, we have no idea as the consumer that that's why they're pushing us to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that makes sense. Cause I'm like, if you ask me if I want next gen one more time, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's why. That makes so mm -hmm. much sense. And, you, and that invention is honestly, it, it's it's dead now. I don't yes. know of very many people that use dual forms. It's just not oh, a very no. viable product. Yeah, it's dead. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. And then another thing, what's so funny is as you were telling the story about the duochrome and like the powder and all that stuff, I was laughing to myself because I remember when I was in college, I used to, <laughs> I used to try to drop ship that powder on Etsy, oh. yeah, <laughs> because I saw you guys selling it and I saw that there uh -huh. wasn't really anyone else selling it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I was trying to take your customer. So I apologize, but. <laughs> oh no. Oh, Donnie, you have to know one thing about me. Let me just tell you, this is, this is actually one of the biggest problems in, and we're getting off on another tangent. You can edit this, but this is a huge problem within the business community is that people get greedy. People don't realize that there's 8 billion people in this world. There's literally 8 billion human beings in this world. And now it's like how Apple at this time, they would not be able to supply an iPhone to every single 8 billion people in this world. That's why there needs to be Samsung. That's why there needs to be a Google. That's why there needs to be all these other brands. 
no one person or one company can monopolize and eat the entire market there's the pie is big enough for yeah. lots and lots and lots of other players yes no it is and i was honestly it was so funny because I was always trying to like make money on the side while I was in school. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember when I started selling that, it was like selling immediately. And I was like, oh mm -hmm. my gosh. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yes, mm -hmm. you were right. That that year when it was like really big, it was really big. So hot. It was yes. so hot. Everybody was doing it. Yes, it was huge. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So back to the Gel X. So once you guys launched that, was it a big deal immediately? Like, did people really take to it or did it take a lot of like product ed education for people to get it? <laughs> Let me just tell you, thank God that I have literally the hide and the skin of an elephant because you have no idea how hard the come up was. Oh. This was literally what I faced for the first year and a half, right? Okay, so I we, 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 we had our product and because it was a full tip product, mm -hmm. it visually literally looked exactly the same as a press on tip. So like a box of like Kiss press on tips that they've been, literally been selling since the 90s and it visually looks kind of exactly the same. And then so we got, we got, categorized as a press on product and i remember i remember telling like everybody who was working on it i was like we we do not use that word we are not a press on company um in the beginning because we were it, it there was a negative there was a negative connotation to like the press on term yeah because if ago. i go into a salon i'm like no don't i don't want, want do press, press on, on. <laughs> yeah press on i can go to cbs and buy that for seven dollars and do that my, myself so as a professional level product people were like ugh. Yeah. And so how I got the word out was I would go to trade shows. I would go to trade shows and I would do, um, we did like 15 to 18 trade shows a year. And so I would have my little 10 by 10 booth. And then my business partner would be with me. It was just the two of us. And then we'd have our little table and she was the demoer and I was the model and like the, the, the salesperson. And I would try to grab people's booth. I just need 30 seconds of your time. It's, it's going to blow your mind. Literally. It's so fast. It's so quick. Just 30 seconds. I would pull them in and then I was like, do the demo, do the demo. And then literally prep, one, two, three, apply the tip, cure it with LED light, boom, magic, done. Now, the people who would actually willingly stop, uh, stop in and look at the demo, they were all very like, oh, mm -hmm. well, that was about 10% of the people. Yeah, I would be in the hallways and, and, and grabbing people most people, this is the reaction that I got. Most people was like, what is this? Press-ons? I only do sculpted acrylics, okay? Because sculpted acrylics in our industry is the top, top, top creme de la creme. If you are a master acrylic sculptor, you are considered a god in this industry if you can do really, really good work. And so everybody was like, this is a cheater product. Nobody's gonna use this. We do acrylics, okay? We do like custom nails. Like, what, 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 what is this cheater product? We were called a cheater product. And so the 10% of people who would willingly come and like listen to me, they were, you know, naturally they were like, oh my God, this is very intriguing. And at that time, the other brands, literally two booths down or literally right in front of me, were selling their dual form products. So people would go back between our booths and then get one finger done with their nail and then try to time like, oh, how long did it take them to do that? And how long did it would it take for me to do my demos? 
Um, and competition was fierce. That was truly, I literally just jumped right into the Shark Tank and with all these other bigger brands that already had so much history and so much money. And here I am with my little boxes of samples at my little 10 by 10 booth, just trying to get the word out. That is so cute. <laughs> well, okay. So then, but then at a certain point were people just like taking to it because of the time, like what was the selling point that made them be like, okay, we'll try this. So I actually really have to give a lot of thanks um, to the uh, a special segment of the professional nail industry, which are the newbie nail techs. Mm. It was it was truly um, the newcomers that truly truly gave the time of day. The seasoned um, veteran industry veterans they wanted nothing to do with us. They they were already most of them were already in the pockets of all the other brands. It truly was the new nail technicians that was just getting into the market because when you graduate from cosmetology school, you get a very 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 basic education on acrylics you yeah. don't come out of cosmetology school ready and able to work in a salon and be able to service actual paying customers for acrylics unless you've actually done a ton of other extra courses on your own yeah. no that's not how it works so that was my target audience was to catch those people that was looking for an extension technique but did they want to go down the route of you know spending a year to three years to master this acrylic thing did they really want to go down that route that was where I targeted most of my marketing and most of my sales in the beginning was niche market. That was my niche market that I had identified. And they were the ones who gave us the support in the beginning. And so how I created um, this demand was I tried to go viral. And how I tried to go viral was I thought of that seven second chrome powder video and how that caught my eye as brainy as it was. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. One, two, three, boom. We started to do one, two, three, boom, one, two, three, boom, seven second mm. videos on Instagram. And that was all that we would post. One, two, three, boom, one, two, three, boom. And then just that, that lasting image of the clear tip with the gel and just on the nail. And then people started reposting that. That was like a quick and easy to digest video that was very easy to share. And, you know, it was something new. And anything that, that that generates and attracts hype, it has to be something new. And so that really, really, really helped us. We did so many of those videos. And that's how we truly, truly got our start on social media. And that's how people started to started to believe in it was one nail technician would use it, then another nail technician would use it. And then that's how I started to build my community. But however, that still wasn't enough. That still wasn't enough because that's barely a fraction of the market. So I thought to myself, how am I going to get my product and this thing positioned so for the masses, for the majority of the type of nail technicians that I would like to use my product? Because I truly believe that it is a very good alternative. It's not a replacement for acrylic. It's a really good alternative for acrylic. And so just like how when you go into a nail salon, there's all sorts of different things on the menu. No nail salon, very few nail salons, only, we only do this or we only do that. You offer a wide variety because you don't know what type of customer is going to walk into your door. And then that's when I started to think, okay, I need to make alliances. I just like how I 
paired up my top coat with the chrome powder, which then became the vehicle for and tool for me to sell it on mass. I was like, okay, I need to attach myself to credible people, cred credible people who will then become my vehicle to spread the word. And then I thought to myself, what is more convincing than convincing master acrylic sculptors to use my product? If they can vouch for my product, people will not call it a cheater product anymore because, hey, those high-level nail technicians are also using it too. So I went after the top, top number one nail technician in the industry at that time um, and currently right now still, which was Chan Legend. Yes. Yes. I'm sure everybody in that knows in, in the professional nail industry knows who Chan Legend is. And he has he really, really created a name for himself within the salon and professional nail community. And he was that golden star. He was that golden star that I was like, okay, if I can convince him and then if I can use him to spread the word, it can give my brand credibility and give this product credibility. So I started to stalk him. I started to stalk him online and I would send him messages like, hey, I have this top coat. I really want to I would send him samples. And I was like, Okay, and then I was like, okay, I have this new product that's really awesome. I really want you to try it, but he really was only interested in the top coat at that time. And he was like, mm, I do acrylic, like I do acrylic, like I don't, I, I don't do acrylic this. So I chased him for over a year. I chased him for over a year, quieted him with a lot of top coat, and I was like, oh, you love our top coat. Here's some more top coat. Here's some more top coat. What about this other product? And I was always like, for the longest time, I don't give up. I, I don't give up. I I am a dog with a bone. I don't give up. I was like, I'm not going to convince him one day. And you know what I would do? I would literally go, I would have my little box of samples and I would literally wait in the lobby of his apartment. He lived in downtown LA and I would literally wait in the lobby of his apartment in between sessions because, you know, nail technicians are very busy. They don't respond to technicians all the time. Yeah. And then so I was like, okay, you know what? You're not going to respond to me for days on end. I'm going to go to your, uh, to your apartment and, you know, bring my samples, bring some taco for you. And then I would, you know, oh, you have 15 minutes in between these two clients. Let's sit down and have, can I show you this? One, two, three, boom. Have you seen this before? And it took me about a year and a half, a year and a half of just like nonstop going to his apartment and just trying to convince him until one day. One day he was doing a music video shoot. Mm -hmm. He was doing a music video shoot. And then he was like, so I have to prepare all of these different nails for all of the backup dancers and all the everybody. And then normally if, if it's like a smaller shoot without backup dancers and everything, then the nail technician would just take their trolley of, of, of goods and they would go on site and then they would just do the nails on site um, and, and do it like that. But he had to prepare like sets, multiple sets for all of the backup dancers, all of the everything. And you can't do that one person on the, in, in, one, in, in one morning. Right. And then, so the industry always use those plastic ABS tips to then just like design them and then just nail glue it onto, um, nail glue it onto the backup dancers. And then that's when he reached out. That's when he reached out and he was like, oh, I have this one project where I need to do this. I need to use tips for this one thing. And I remember you telling me about this one tip product that you had, Carol. Like, what was it? Come, 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 come to my apartment. Come to my apartment. Show me. And I was like, oh, my golden opportunity. My golden chance. <laughs> <laughs> Grab my business partner with our little box of samples. And I was like, let me show you. Can you blow your mind? And that's truly how it started. He 
I, I, I don't know. I think he was mind blown after that, but not really because he was like, oh, I do acrylic. Like, he's like, yeah. This is just, this is just for the music. Video. I'm just, just using it for the music. Video. I'm not gonna use this on my clients. Mm-hmm. And then he did it for the music video, and that it was a success. It was a success. He said it was so great for the music, video. and I was like, oh my god, another niche market. And then I, I was like, okay, from now. And then I started sending all my products to all these celebrity nail tech house. Like, this is perfect to use on set and on a photo shoot. It's perfect. It's Tra- it's easy to travel it's portable one two three boom they can take it off afterwards um if they if they want to it's not as damaging on the nails because acrylic is supposed to be long lasting this can be like a like a one one day like one week type 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 of type of deal and then i was like boom another niche market that i can corner and then so i started sending out all my samples to all the celebrity nail technicians and then all the celebrity nail technicians started using this product on set on photo shoots and um and whatnot and that literally after that and then after i got the support of the celebrity nail technicians that is when everything kind of really then kicked into overdrive wow at that time um so because it sounds like you were in charge of like all the marketing and you were kind of like the steve jobs of the situation (laughs) and she was like you know your business partner was like the steve wozniak so in, at this time, how were like the um, the responsibilities divided? I am that girl in the high school group mm-hmm. doing the group project. There's five people, and all five people have their own jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's always that one person who decides to take it under their wing and to do the most <laughs> to ensure that the project gets a stellar A plus grade at the end. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. me. When I see something that is lacking or not doing well or not done properly or well, I can't help myself. Yeah. But to stick my hand in the cookie jar and help others so that they can do a really good job because I I, I need to do the job properly. I need to do it well. That's it's that's at the core of who I am. I I can't do a bad job. Yeah. And and so in the beginning, it really was split um, between, okay, I'm going to do the sales and marketing and the branding uh, and whatnot. And then my business partner was in charge, supposed to be in charge of R&D, R&D and education. She is a nail educator, a nail salon owner. That's really, really her forte. And it was perfect. And then I then just filled in the blanks for everything else because i was the only person on that team that had experience building a successful business i had successfully helped my husband's business you know revenue into the millions immediately after the first year and i because i've been obsessed with entrepreneurship and being a business owner since i was a kid one of my favorite things to do when i watch tvs is to watch commercials I actually love to watch commercials and ads because I love to analyze how brands, why did you do your commercial this way? You actually paid someone good money to make this and Mm -hmm. it completely fell flat or it was a huge success. And so I've always been analyzing these things ever since I was a kid. And so I applied everything that I took in my daily life and I was like, okay, how do I create a business and a brand that people will resonate with, that people will want to continue to spend money with? I put myself in the customer's shoes and that's how I crafted and built everything because that's the only way. You, you're As an entrepreneur and as a business owner, your boss is the customer. You mm. are not your, owner. your boss is the customer. Yeah. Without the customer, 
you are nothing. You are nobody. No, you have yeah. no money, no nothing. Your customer is the boss. And so I really, really, really just took everything on and I just started to do everything. My husband was the one who helped to help me to create um, the branding and the design, the original packaging designs, original designs for everything in the very beginning. And, you know, because my business partners, they were, they were not from here. They're, they're, they're from Asia. And so there was this very, very, very heavy language barrier. And so they were, you know, in a sense, kind of sort of, sort of handicapped by that, just simply because we were doing business in America, which was so focused on, you know, needing and requiring to speak this language. And then, so me being the only person on the team that spoke fluently and grew up here and understood the market here, I really just took everything under my wing. And I, this was my baby. I wanted to make sure that everything was done the right way to ensure success because I truly was wanted to build offering into you know a future Apple a future Coca-Cola of the world no and that's what it sounds like I mean you guys pretty much were the Apple of the industry in the nail industry mm-hmm. right and so mm-hmm. it, as you were telling this I'm just like okay that's another layer it's just like you invested so much not just like money wise but just like energy wise into growing mm-hmm. this into what it is today and you mm-hmm. put so much brain power behind it. And it just mm-hmm. seems like, I mean, and we, and I'll just say this as a consumer, I can see the clear difference over the last year, you know, with how everything is being pushed out with um, the lack of innovation, <laughs> um, you know, and things just feeling kind of stagnant with the brand um, since you've been away from the company. And mm-hmm. it's just clear the impact that you had on the success of the company. So um, I want to give you your flowers because what you've done is just incredible, really. Like as you're explaining this and telling the story and recalling all the events, it's like what you were doing is literally like what Steve Jobs was doing for Apple. Like you you are so intelligent. <laughs> like you, you really took it to a huge level. Like like I said, you changed the whole industry with that one mm-hmm. product and it's stuck. Mm-hmm. It is stuck for a while. Like this is not something that I even see going away. It's not like a trend where it's like going to just leave in two seconds. Like it'll probably mm-hmm. still be here for a minute, you know? And, and that was the intention. Yeah. I do everything with intent. Actually, everybody should do everything with intent because if you don't do anything with intent, then you're just at the mercy of just like random stuff happening to you. And that was the intention. I knew that this was going to become a thing. I intended for this to become a thing that you could see on every single salon menu, not only in the United States, but eventually globally, just like how you can see acrylic, hard gel, Uh, or dip powder on nail salons, I wanted to create soft gel nail extensions as an actual viable category for salons. And this is why I named it Gel X. Everything was intentional. I intentionally wanted to come up with a very catchy name that I could see splashed onto like posters and menus and something that just like rolled off the tongue and that was like easy easy to um easy easy to remember and i you know i i took inspirations and i wanted to be a heinz of the ketchup um world i wanted to be a kleenex of the tissue world and i was like okay how do i position this product to be that and so that's how i came up with the name gel x it literally means gel extensions but gel x in a very just easy catchy way and yeah 
That's amazing. So genius. Um, I could talk about that forever, but because <laughs> I'm such a nerd. <laughs> so now let's get to the main event. <laughs> you gave us so much good backstory. And so now we can really see like, okay, this is how things started. This was the energy. This was the goal. And so you guys really built a, a big brand. Like it, it, you grew momentum. You had, you know, carved out your section of the market. People really mm -hmm. respected what you had built. And so fast forward to, you know, the last, um, I would say last year, right, of when you were a part of the company, you started having some things going on in your personal life, right? Mm -hmm. And um, with your husband and stuff, and that caused you to end up moving into the garage of your business partner, right? So, okay, let me tell the story about that one, because I actually okay. think that this story is very, very important for this whole entire timeline of things. Now, okay. everything is, is in hindsight. At the time when I was in this situation and these things were happening, people were telling me these things, but I couldn't understand them. I was like, mm, no, I don't think so. I couldn't understand them. So everything in hindsight. Yes. Now, we started the business in 2015. Um, we didn't have, it, it was a startup at the beginning. We had no office, no, 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 nothing for the first number of years. And it wasn't until after my husband passed away that really everything started to skyrocket because then I actually, because of his passing, it freed up my time to really be able to invest more into the business. And that's when after it skyrocketed. Okay. So in 2018, um, well, I'd been married for five years uh, at that point. It was an extremely difficult, I think one of the hardest experiences I've ever been through in my life was the marriage. I had no idea what I was getting myself into as a young 22 year old getting married to somebody who was nine years older than me and who had an alcohol problem that I wasn't aware of because we were doing long distance. I lived in New York, we lived in LA, we would meet up, we would go on vacation. I like to party, I like to have fun. When I'm, on, when I'm on vacation, I didn't know it was an everyday thing for him until I moved back to LA. Moved back to LA and I realized, oh, you're starting off your day with a glass of wine and by noon you're drunk. Oh, okay. Yeah. But in the Asian community, um, it's it's a thing. It's a it's a thing of the yesteryear of the Asian businessman who goes out with his business buddies and then they go out and drink all night and that's where deals are made. And, and so, you know, I was like, okay, you know, that's acceptable. You're a business owner. This is what you have to do. This is the lifestyle that you have to do. Uh, but it got to a point where it literally, it, it, it permeated every, every, every aspect of our lives and got to a point where I was like, this is not sustainable. You, 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 your business is dying. You are dying. Like ev everything's falling apart. You can't live like this. Uh, I quickly got pregnant because we wanted to uh, start a family and it was a roller coaster. Those five years was one of the hardest things I've ever had to endure. It actually taught me a lot about alcoholism and just a lot, a lot of, about life in general. But he randomly passed away in 2018 and just randomly, I thought that I would be nagging him into his 80s that don't drink, don't drink anymore. I could never have expected that me at that time, I think I was 27, 28, and he was only 36, that he would literally just up and just kill over like that. I, my babies were, or our sons were three and four at that time, and it literally came out of left field that completely changed my world now i had already moved into her garage six months prior to his passing because we had you know we in the years prior we had a domestic violence um incident which was then i called the police it was a whole thing the state of california wanted to put him in jail for three years um, i actually 
you know, vouched for him and then tr- battled so hard against that DA to really to, to, to win the case because it, a lot of things were twisted by the police and by the DA after, after the fact and everything. And I just didn't think that he deserved that for what it was. He really needed treatment. He really needed treatment, not jail time. Um, um, we, were, we ended up winning um, that case, thankfully. But then it just, it completely just destroyed him. It completely just destroyed him. And things, we tr- tried, I tried to make it work, but it just didn't work out. He, it, it just got worse. And it got to a point where my babies, when they were little, they don't, they don't know anything. They're not, they're, they're not aware. And the catalyst for me was one day, daily arguments. So every day we're like at each other. So if I'm alpha female, he's alpha male. We disagreed on everything. One day we're going at it in the foyer of my house and my older son, Nigel, at the time he's four, he ended up step stepping steps like in between us and then he like punches, starts punching his dad. And he goes, Stop, you don't yell at my mom. You don't yell at my mom like that. Like, stop, you're bad, you're you're bad, you're so mean. And I literally I watched my son literally just in hysterics and I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm doing this to him because I had I had so much guilt at that point for, you know wanting to leave and wanting I was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one who breaks up the family I'm gonna be the one who gives my boys a broken home it's okay I'll just sacrifice myself I'll sacrifice myself wait until they're 18 and then go restart my life later on but then when I saw that I was like okay you know what it's it's I now realize what all of my friends and my family is telling me that I'm doing more harm than good by trying to keep everybody under this household and, and under this one roof and so after one more really, really, really bad argument, I was like, you know what, this is not going to change. And you are not going to change unless I allow you to hit rock bottom. If I'm always going to be here to be your safety net and to clean up your stuff after, after the fact, it will never motivate you to make the change that you need for your own self. Because you cannot change another person. You can help them, you can guide them, you can support them. But that change has to come from them or it's not going to be authentic and it's not going to stick. And so I moved out. Um, Albie at that time was like, you know what, Carol, like you're going through so much and it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to see like, why don't you just move in to my garage and just get away, just get away for a bit and just clear your mind um, and get the kids out of that situation. And so I rented her garage from her for $500 a month. Yeah, wow. with my two kids on a Friday, March 9th, I packed up two suitcases, left my nice house with the pool, with all the bedrooms and all the everything, and literally moved into a cockroach-infested 400-square-foot converted garage with my two boys. Yikes. And, yeah, and actually, I was really happy. I was actually Aww. really happy because I was, like, happy to be away from all that and that, that toxic energy, and I was just free I felt free and so I then stopped working at his company I was like you know what you need to you I need to hit, like you hit rock bottom I need you to deal with everything in your life so you can understand and appreciate how much everybody else is doing all these things for you and but I would still continuously check up on him I mean he's like oh, he's my kid's dad I still wanted him to be well and it was how it happened was there was the day before he it was listed as the day that he passed, um, my old assistant at the company, she had called me. 
she called she called me that day earlier and she was like okay daniel says that he's not feeling well and i was like okay he's never feeling well he's always like hung over he's always like it's, it's, it's a thing like he's never feeling he's never never feeling well um because at that point he had already on average he had five bottles of um 1.75 liters of vodka stored under his bed he would literally wake up two shots it, it, it was really really bad at that point and i was like okay he's never feeling well and i was like okay bring make him go to the doctor if he's not feeling well make him go to the doctor she went she went to, i was like go to the house she went to the house he refused he refused to go to the doctor and then so she brought him she said that his head really really hurt it so he brought his bad bill and some coconut water and then just kind of just up from there and i was like okay just keep checking up on him and then she was like oh he really doesn't look well like he like his lips were like white like his face like his lips were purple like his face was all white i was like i don't know maybe he just like he needs to eat and get him some food and then that same night at around 9 30 10 she calls me and she never calls me after 7 p.m she calls me she's like okay Kayla, this is gonna sound really 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 weird but all of a sudden i just had this like cold air blow by me and i thought of daniel and i called him but he didn't answer carol so i called him didn't answer i text him didn't answer no no red message and i was like mm, 9 30 10 he might already be passed out I guess keep checking on him and then we didn't really think anything of it the next the next morning no red stamp on the messages no phone call back no nothing and i was like weird i mean he should have already like woken up to pee by now or something and then by noon time when there was no answer i was like okay something is off i was like go to the house go to the house and check on him and that's when i got the phone call of her screaming because she found him you know like deceased in the bedroom and that one incident um set off kind of the catalyst of just everything that happened um in my life it was i've never been through something before like that and it completely yeah. rocked my world and i fell into a major depression i fell into a major depression afterwards i felt so guilty because i was like okay if i had stayed if i had stayed if i hadn't left then mm -hmm. i would have been here i would have taken to the hospital he'd be alive now and so I buried all of that depression, all of that grief, all of that sadness into my work. Um, Opry saved me. Opry really, really, really saved me at that time. It was the one thing that stopped me from killing myself after all of this happened. I was, he left me with nothing, literally left me with nothing. He had nothing but debt. And I didn't know it at that time. And immediately after his debt, I was saddled with over $300,000 worth of um, his business debt that I inherited as a legal surviving wife. And I had $2,000 in my business account and I was paying my business partner $500 a month to live in her garage. I was in one of the hardest positions in my life. And three days after the funeral, my ex-parents-in-law sued me for possession of the house because they wanted to sell it to get the money and essentially made me make it homeless. <laughs> it was a really rough time. I was battling so much and I poured all of that into my work. Opry was the thing that saved me. It was my rock. It was my rock that got me through all of that. I poured all of it into it and I was just became obsessed with the business. And that's when you see in 2018 and 2019, that's when things were really, really, really skyrocketed with Opry and with Jellex. Wow. Wow. I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that and and I mean of course like yeah woohoo the business did great but it's like who 
you know, no one, no one deserves to have to experience all of that. So I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. But I, it's, it, it's really great experience. And I've yeah. been through so many bad things and so many awful things in my life that I actually think that all of them were meant to teach me lessons and teach me how to be strong, yeah. um, how to overcome these things. And I think that was one of my biggest sadness each, uh, after all of this happening in this way was they saw all of that. <laughs> yeah they knew all of that they they took me and my children in yeah immediately after she uh, he died Albie lent me twenty five thousand dollars at the time I had no money she lent me twenty five thousand dollars they were my family yeah they knew yeah. how difficult it was for me and so I think that was the most heartbreaking thing for me it was just that you knew all of this you you, you know what I've gone through yeah and yet you could still do this to me and my children right so, okay, so how long after that happened? So, okay, so all that happened in, like, 2018, you said, with the mm-hmm. with yes. your husband. And then mm-hmm. fast forward, the whole situation with your business partners taking the company that happened last year, right? So, actually, that was already set into motion in 2018, um, and I didn't know it at that time. Um, oh, a month after, A month after the funeral, they sat me down um, and essentially forced me to bring her husband into the business. Now, when my husband was alive, they tried to do this. They tried to do this for all those years between 2015 and 2018. They always tried um, to have her husband be also a majority shareholder. And my husband was like, no, it really got contentious to a point where he was like, you know what, if they're going to do this, and if that's how it is, you are not allowed to do this because you're going to get effed over and you're going to sacrifice everything for our family and, and they get stolen by these people. And so he, Michael used to have shares. Michael used to have shares in the very, very, very beginning. There were five people when we started this. I started to kick everybody out in the beginning because I, I kept doing all the work. I didn't, I, there was a sales guy that was a sales partner. He it was also in the family business in the nail industry and he couldn't step out to publicly say that he was starting this competing business. And then, so after two months, I was like, okay, nobody's doing the sales work and I'm the one doing this. Like, okay, I need you to then vacate your position so that I can take over that role. And that's how I started to take on all these roles actually. And, but my husband was adamant that it could not be a husband and a wife duo in the mix of this partnership. And so Michael had very little shares in the beginning, but it was my husband who advocated for me. And then when my husband was still alive and leading up to his death, Michael had zero shares. He had no position in the company because my husband had advocated for me to that point. A month after the funeral, they sat me down and they were like, okay, we need to bring Michael into the business. And their reasoning was that Michael had helped Albie so much, just like how my husband had helped me so much with the design stuff and with all the marketing and other stuff. And then she was like, okay, I feel like now we need to compensate Michael for all the help he did and in my opinion I was thinking well you need all of that help from him because you don't speak English you don't speak the language and he he, he speaks uh, he speaks English and so he speaks some English so he is helping you but if you were more capable you wouldn't really need this help just like how I don't need this help now I'm myself and we could just be partners just the two of us you know she's so they caught you at a vulnerable me. time yeah She's 10 years older than me. In Asian community, when you have somebody that's 10 years or a decade older than you, it's automatically kind of like a generational difference. And I defer to my elders. I defer to my elders in my culture and I give respect to my elders. And so, you know, and, and I was a little girl. I was trapped in that like little girl mentality. 
And she really, really used that to her advantage. And so we had meeting after meeting where she was at one of the last meetings. She was like, you know what, Carol? She always plays the nice girl. She always plays that like nice girl. Like after she goes, you know what, Carol? Okay, fine. If we cannot agree to all of this, if you cannot agree to all this, let's just maintain our friendship. And let's just shut down the business and nobody do it. And we'll just maintain our friendship. So I was giving that ultimatum, knowing how much debt I had on my back, literally, and being homeless and all of these things. And I had already been working on opera for three years at that point. And I was like, okay, am I just going to give all of this up at this point? Like, I'm, yeah, I couldn't. I, I literally couldn't. I, it, right. I couldn't. They put the knife up to my neck. I, I had no choice but to accept it. And then so I put things into place to protect myself, which is in the form of trading for collateral. I was like, okay, if you would, if you want him to be able to buy in, that's fine and that's all great, but there needs to be an exchange. I need to be able to protect myself. And how I protected myself was they gave me control of the IPs. They were like, Carol, you invented this, you created this, this, this brand, you designed all this, you and your husband designed all this, like it's yours. And that was the transaction. Mm. And what I didn't know at that time, because I had not gone to business school, I did not realize, and I, my husband had been telling me this for years, but I didn't connect the dots. So stupid, why, why I didn't. But I didn't realize that the minute that I lost majority control, I would then lose control of the company. But the way that they were making it seem, because I was the face of the company, I did pretty much 80% of everything at that point. They made me feel like I was in control. Yeah. It's an illusion. I felt like I was in control. Yep. And so I was like, okay, I'm in control. Like this is all, this is all me. So there's no way that I'm going to lose control. And now I have the IPs and I, I, okay, fine. We're the three musketeers and, you know, I don't have the biggest piece of the pie, but it's okay. A small piece of something that is very, very, very successful is still wildly more significant than owning a hundred percent of something that's really small, you know? Right. So that really was my mentality at that time. And then, you know, they told me, for your family, Carol, we would never do this to you. We would never do anything to you. And, you know, we, me and my business partner, we were closer than her and her husband at that point. Right. We spent more time together than she even did with her own husband wow. at that point. Yeah. So I had, I did not know that there was imminent danger. I had no idea and then, so I just went down this route and I just buried all my grief and my depression into my work. And I was like, let's, we're going to do this. And I literally poured my everything, my entire soul, my blood, sweat, and tears into this business and really grew it within those, those two years into what you see now. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah, so, so this happens before all that other stuff you just told us about how you grew it and all that. That's that's crazy. Cause then it's like Yeah, so all of that is in place, right? And yeah. okay, we're the three musketeers, things are going great, everything's great and fine, right? Until that quote that I said in the beginning, business partners don't argue when in the beginning when there's no money, there's no nothing to argue, they start arguing when there is money. Right. Once we started to actually make profit, actual, actual profit, not in the form of profit that has to be reinvested into the company to continue to keep it going, actual profit that we could yeah. actually cut a check to ourselves. Because at mm -hmm. that point, we were really taking nothing from the business and everything was going back into the business. That's when I started to see changes. 
that's when I started to see changes. And I, I, I believed them when they had told me years ago, oh, we're not that type of people, Carol. We won't let money change us. We're very humble, just like normal people. We won't let money change us. And so I believed that. And then they started to get more and more power hungry. I started to delegate certain things in the company to them because at that point, I, one person alone, no longer could handle 80% of all of this weight. It's just impossible at this point. When you're, uh, when you're, when you get into like the multi-million dollars of a business like this, it, it requires a team, it requires a team of people, it requires a village at that point. And you, one person who started this one can no longer sustain that for forever into perpetuity. And so I started to structure the company in a way to allow this growth and this eventual expansion that I knew was going to happen to happen. And so I started delegating things out to them. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of differences. We had a lot of differences in the way that we do things. And I think it has to do with kind of the education that I've had, the experiences that, that I've had, um, and how that differed from their own experiences. You know, their own experiences was, you know, she ran a nail salon business, which is essentially, a, you know, a small mom and pop business. And the way that you mm -hmm. run a small mom and pop business is very, very, very different than running an enterprise, running an enterprise with multiple different divisions and multiple different departments. Um, it's different managing 10 nail techs and, you know, 60 staff, completely, completely different. And that's where we really, really, really butted heads because they were so tunnel visioned and so narrowly focused. They were the type of people who would literally obsessively obsess about our Shopify numbers. And the minute that it would drop like a hundred dollars, they're like, oh my gosh, we need to do something. We need to post more on Instagram. That's why, that's why the sales are up. Yeah. No, that's not really how sales cycles work. That's not really how marketing no. cycles work. That's not how it works at all. Yeah. Um, and then it just got to be, it got to be a point where I, spent the majority of my time cleaning up their messes mm. i would they i would tell them don't do this do it in this way if they wouldn't believe me they would go ahead and do it in their way it would crash and burn and then kale to the rescue to go fix and save and wipe everybody's butts um it was difficult it was tough and it got to a point where they started getting more and more power hungry, more and more dominant and more and more. And I started realizing that, okay, this is not the same how it was. The feeling, the vibes, the energy is not the same how it was years ago when we were small. And so I just tried to make the best of it. I tried to make the best of it. I just tried to do my best to help everybody and to just make my situation better. But I knew two years before April 15th of last year, I already knew I had a feeling I was like, oh my goodness, something's going to happen. I had this like gut feeling and my dad, I had hired my dad as the COO of the company in 2021. Something happened there where as the COO, he requested, you know, financial records and data purchase orders and sales order and all these things from the purchasing department, which was under her husband. Her husband was the CFO and also handle the supply chain and all the purchasing and the sourcing within the company and supply chain is my dad's bread and butter that is what he has done for in corporate for decades and so all he had to do was literally ask for a couple of documents and i remember that one day after he asked for those documents albie called me i was cooking dinner at home and she called me and she was like why is your dad asking all these questions and i was like 
well he's 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 oh he 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 needs to know these things and have this thing so he can formulate his strategy and so he can lead the team operations it's the operations the company keep it going right and then she then starts to say how like he's so rude to everybody everybody hates him and da 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 like he's a bad fit for the company and like he said and then he, she claimed that, like, he said this, like, really offensive thing to her. And, like, she, she was so disrespected by it that she just can't have him at the company at all whatsoever. Carol, you need to fire him. Wow. He'd only been working there for maybe, like, four months. Really, like, yeah. Oh and I had pressure. It was yeah. two against one. When it's two against one and they're forcing you to fire him. The next day I fired my own dad. Oh my goodness. I was like, I'm so sorry about this, but. And at that time, it was actually really unfortunate because I sided with my business partners. And I was right. like, look, this, you're, you're too forceful. You're too dominant. Like, you need to be nicer. Like, you need to be. Because my dad's a corporate guy. He's like, take no bullshit type of person. Just say it how it is. But they're the type where their ego needs to be padded and like they, they need to be like treated a certain way. And that's just not how like my dad has been in boardrooms and has commanded teams of like 500 people. Like it's this yes. is to him. This is like peanuts. Our, our company was peanuts to him because he was used to running companies that had like thousands and thousands of people on his team. Right. And how did, how did he take it when you told him? Was he, he understanding? He knew. My, my, my dad is a corporate, my dad is a corporate veteran. Oh, he's been playing these corporate games since he was 20. So he knows how this all went. He knew just like how my husband always warned me. My dad had always warned me, Carol, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And after he, he um, I fired him, he told me, he was like, Carol, you need to sell. You need to sell and you need to get out. If this is happening to me now, it's going to happen to you too. I was like, <laughs> no way you've been here for four months i've been here for like years like this is my thing like no way they would never do this to me no near enough i don't believe him he kept telling me sell carol now is the time to sell sell your stake move on and do something else but it was my baby i thought i would be doing opry forever i couldn't i could not even think about selling at all i was thinking if i sell if i sold it would be like 10 years down the line and i would sell it in like a whole piece off to something else but not in this way you know i was like there's still so much more to be done there's still so much more i want to do with the brand and things and so i didn't heed his advice yeah so at that time had you guys taken any investments at you know for the company it was just you guys right and your money there was no outside investors ever wow it all came from our own pockets we had no loans. Wow. I built a business in which I crafted all these different sales channels to create this very sustainable structure in which the company could sustain itself, take its profits, reinvest it back, and that's how we survived. Did you know that prior to 2020, prior to 2022, I never spent a single dollar on advertisements? I never, it was all organic marketing from day one. I swear to God, I never spent a single dime on Instagram ads, on Facebook ads. And I think anybody who's followed um, Opry from the very beginning can vouch for that. Now you'll see ads, sponsored ads pop up, but we never ran ads back then because I was like, we don't need to. There's so many other avenues and so many ways that we can get the word out without having to spend this money. And 
it was it was beautiful i it, it, it was beautiful the company continued to grow um and you know i it was intentional for me to craft all these things i wanted to create this umbrella in which i knew that ultimately i would become like a microsoft in which i would then license out this technology out to all of the other players who are also entering, who will be entering this market because I knew that this was eventually going to become like a dip powder type of thing where it's like first SNS first came out with it. And then afterwards there's gonna be like a hundred different brands selling like, you know, very, very similar products. And I knew that's what it was going to be. And I was prepared to take steps to protect the innovation and protect the product to ensure that it didn't go downhill once all of these competitors came into the market and started injecting their own narratives um, into this. And so that was in 2021, right? After that, it was just two years of this gut feeling of just, oh my goodness, it's just an uphill battle. Every day to battle them on, don't do this. Oh my God, you guys are doing that. And it just became unmanageable. It became unmanageable. And was the rest of the company, like, do you feel like they were sensing something going on between you guys, like the owners? Oh yeah, it yeah. really was. And, you know, I really honestly, to God, thank Felicia for coming out with her story. I was so surprised when she posted her first video. I was mind blown. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Yeah. Nobody wants to go up against a big corporation that has money to literally sue you into oblivion. And so when she came out with her story, I was mind blown. And she, in one of her videos, she actually touched on this one story that I, I even had forgotten that actually was the true catalyst of my suspicion that things were kind of like going wrong. I was so naive. I lied to myself and I would make lies to myself to ensure to like ensure that this rosy my my rosy picture of this world didn't like didn't my house of cards didn't crumble and fall. Anytime that anybody would tell me something suspicious, I would I would always back them up and be like, no 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 you guys don't know them. It can't be. It literally can't be no 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 that doesn't make sense. And when she touched on that story um, about our supply chain director, his name is Pedro, and I actually would love to give him a call and um, apologize for firing him in the way that I did, because that that story is totally true. Um, they actually went on a birthday trip. They went on a birthday trip um, to Vegas, and at that time, we were I had already been trying to push out um, a lot of the things to vendors to handle because in my opinion, liabilities are not assets and a company needs to be lean and green and you don't need to own every single step of everything to be the owners. Um, my business partners had a completely different opinion. If they could save 25 cents or 5 cents or 10 cents on something by doing it themselves or something, they thought that that was how they were going to get rich. I didn't see it that way. And so I, at, at, once we had money, I was like, let's stop doing things ourselves. Let's start outsourcing these things to other people who are actually experts in their field and can do it even better than us. Yeah. Especially and so I had- you guys weren't spending money on marketing. So you had the extra. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so at that point I was like, okay, I don't want to run my own pick and pack facility anymore. We can't keep up with this. Orders are going out so slow. There's so many issues because we can't manage our staff properly. Let's throw this out to a 3PL. Let's throw this out to a 3PL that can literally bang out thousands of orders in a day with no error, like minimal errors, but maybe a 2% margin where we're facing 15% doing it ourselves. Yeah. This is ridiculous. And then, so we had set a plan and then there was a target date for when we were supposed to ship it out to 3PL. When we were approaching that day, I was like, okay, let me run through all the numbers, all the pallet counts. Let me see if everything's organized. 
And then I called um, Michael and Pedro into a meeting and I said, show me the numbers. What's the plan? When are, when are, when are, when are the trucks going out to, uh, to, to Shapiro's warehouse? Let me see all of it. They came into this meeting without all of those things that I had asked for and instead came with this Excel sheet that was basically numbers typed into a couple of cells and then literally said, look, Carol, scenario A is if we go with the 3PL and this would be our cost. Scenario B would be if we did it, kept it in-house and XYZ, we could save $2 million a year if we did it in-house. At that point, a month out from having to launch with this new 3PL, I was like, this is not what I asked for. This is not the report that I asked for. And where are these numbers coming from? You literally minus B to A and then got 2 million. But where are these numbers coming from? Where's the justification? Where is the data? Right. You can't just type numbers into a cell and tell me we're going to save 2 million, Carol. Let's keep it in house. And then that's when I was like, that's weird. You, You guys have been doing this for eight months. If this is what comes out of it, I was mind blown at the time. Yeah. Coincidentally, it was their birthday trip. And then so Albie and Michael, they went on vacation to, to Vegas. I took that opportunity on that Friday and I called Pedro into my office and I was like, Pedro, tell me what's going on. I, you, you, you guys have been giving me reports that you guys have been doing this for months. And all of a sudden now I get this bogus like Excel sheet. Right. And now the strategy is we're not going to move to 3PL. What is going on? And, you know, he was real hesitant at first. He was real hesitant at first. And I could not understand this at that time when he said it. But now in hindsight... He was like, look, Carol, there's two camps here, you versus them. And I stupidly replied, I was like, no, we make all of our decisions together. All of our decisions are together. We always agree on everything. And that that's how we work, Pedro. And I remember him just like smiling and nodding, which is like, mm, yeah. And so I asked him, I was like, who gave you these numbers? Who gave you these numbers? Because this Excel sheet looks just like Michael's Excel sheets that I've seen over the last couple of years. And I asked him, I was like, who gave you this and told you to do this? And that's when he was like, oh, Michael. Michael doesn't want to move to 3PL. And I was like, but we agreed on this in January. It's been eight months. Mm-hmm. What? Right. And me being the blindly loyal business partner that I'm in, who has always communicated everything, because to me, we truly made our decisions together. That's how it always was. I had an idea or whatever. I floated it by them. We had a meeting, agreed on it. Okay, I would roll it out. I immediately texted them. I was like, oh my God, you have no idea like what um, meeting I just had with Pedro. He blamed it all on Michael. Can you believe it? The audacity. They literally cut their vacation short and they came back early. Back early that Monday, they pulled me in, into a meeting, not in our conference room, but at their house. They bought lunch, asked me to go over to their house, grilled me on what Pedro had said, and da 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 da. Then at that lunch meeting, they pulled out the stack of papers and then they were like, Carol, we found out that Pedro's been stealing from the company that all these sheets and all these he's been embezzling here and there da, 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 and there these things that he said that he was invited to the warehouse he pocketed it all took it home and da, da, da. he uh we were going to epoxy like the the, the the warehouse floors at our at this new building that we had bought um and he i i tasked him to go find um, a vendor for that and he tacked on extra money to have them go epoxy his garage too and da, 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 da. i looked at all that i was like no way 
and they were like, we need to fire him. Stealing from the company, we need to fire him. And he's just throwing Michael under the bus because he said that Michael approved all these purchases. Michael didn't approve all these purchases. He's blaming it all on Michael. He needs to go. Me being the loyal business partner I was, I was like, okay, he's got to go. Like, oh my God, like we need to protect our business from this big bad person, this essentially stranger that we've only hired for like five months. He's got to go. And it wasn't and him it, this whole time. I, I, I don't believe actually it was him. I don't actually believe that he was stealing because I can, there's, I could count on more than my two fingertips, like how many people they've, how many former past staff that they have accused of stealing. Anytime anything happens, everybody's stealing from them. I didn't connect the dots back then. I just, I don't know, people, I just thought that people wanted my shit and people wanted to like take stuff from me. I was like, oh my God, I have to protect us, you know? Yeah. And they were, yeah. and really, they could have, I mean, allegedly they might have been trying to cover their tracks and redirect yes. attention yeah yeah wow. so you kind of see the pattern of all of these things i'm just like the loyal person who just said okay you say it, we agreed okay i'm gonna roll it up i'm gonna execute you want me to fire my dad i'll fire my dad you want me to fire Pedro? Okay, i'll fire Pedro. yeah i'm always the black sheep i'm always i'm the very straightforward direct person they don't really speak english so i am the mm-hmm. mouthpiece of the company i say and yeah. it executes all and everything Yes, and, and your husband's I, not there either to like mm-hmm. kind of be like, uh, that looks shady mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. Yep. And so that went on and I, at that time I still didn't know. I still didn't know what was the end game. Yeah. And then last April happened. Mm-hmm. Now, now in hindsight, and I'm pretty sure after the case comes out, we can probably do another session in which I can then release out more stories. Yeah. But now I've pieced together. This was truly, allegedly, what I consider an inside job. They have been planning and preparing for this. Um, and I now know what the catalyst was. And it something had happened. Something had happened um, literally seven days before April 15th when I got fired. They had sat me down. They had sat me down and I'm going to tell you the story and then we can decide whether or not we're going to like edit this or, or we're not, but I'm going to tell you the truth of what happened yeah. um, because this will come out. This will come out eventually. And this is yeah. the realistic truth of what happened is April 8th, they called a meeting with me super randomly. I got it. I got the notice that the, the um, literally the night of the night before from my assistant saying, oh, Albie and Michael wants to have a meeting at the new warehouse. Office from the new house, not in our current office. Okay. Yeah. Going for the meeting and going to the conference room, and Michael is sitting there, and Albie's in the corner, and Albie's crying. He's like crying in tears and everything. Michael starts talking. Now, you have to understand that in the last seven years, Michael rarely talks. He, he usually doesn't talk. He's usually the one in the back of the corner and just kind of like, he very doesn't talk that all that much. Yeah. Me and Albie were the very, very like alpha females. Like we're usually the ones that are the ones driving everything. So I thought it was weird how she was just in the corner, not saying anything, and he was directing the meeting because he never directs meetings. Right. Okay. I step into the meeting and he starts up. He goes, "Carol, I don't think we're on the same page anymore." I was really taken aback because that was the first time we'd ever talked about this topic in this way and I was like well okay I mean if I guess if you want to bring it up like 
I actually feel the same way. I actually had been feeling that for literally the last year and a half, me just having to like wipe butt and like just like fix all their messes. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I can't do this anymore. It's it's yeah. too tiring. It's it's hampering the growth of this company. We're taking like ten steps forward and then like fifteen steps like back all the time, right. and it's not sustainable anymore. And I was like, it was kind of a relief for me to hear them say that. I was like, oh my god, you guys were the first ones to say it. Like okay, I mean, if you guys want to open that Pandora's box, I'll tell you the truth. I agree. And I told them, I was like, I can tell that you guys want to keep this as a small mom and pop business that you guys will eventually pass on to your kids. And I want to blow this up into a global billion dollar brand. Yeah. And I told them, I was like, but it's okay. Nobody, we don't have to force each other to go down paths that are not suitable um, for us. And if that's the route that you want to go down, then, um, then by all means it is we had seven beautiful years we had seven beautiful years and then so we discussed at that meeting we actually had a very good meeting about what were the next steps you know we discussed about it they were like what do you want to do uh, da, da, da. i was like well you know i would love to continue to do operate forever but i, I told them realistically i was like but realistically i know that you guys own keepers of the company and I know how passionate Albie is about it. And I know, you know, how domineering you guys are. And I know you guys aren't going to give it to me. So in that meeting, you know, they heavily pushed it. They were like, oh, we know that you really, really want to do the retail thing. Like, why don't you like, then perhaps it could be a thing where like you then take like the retail, like arm uh, division of the company. And then, you know, you still have your IP so you can make like commissions and royalties of it. And then, you know, we can all peacefully coexist and survive in the snail industry and my dad for years had been telling no you carol you need to come out with your own company then compete with them and, da, da, da. and i told my dad mm, 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 mm. i don't want to do that i don't like nastiness i don't yeah. like conflict like that i don't want to go toe to toe and compete like exactly in the same space as my business partners who i have had seven magical like years of memories with no, I want to do something else. I can do something else. I'll just take my money and I'll just go do something else. And, yeah. you know, of course I was sad. I was really, really sad about losing my baby, losing Opry, but I've been preparing myself for two years for that. And I was like, okay, the day has come. The day has come. It's unavoidable. I will, I signed a shitty ass deal four years ago that I shouldn't have signed, but lessons learned. It's okay. I'm still young. I still have time to restart and do something and so what is the natural next step of any separation or divorce or anything you need to know what you're separating you need to know what you're divorcing seven years into the business we had never ever ever done a professional financial audit we didn't know what the value of the company was we only knew how much sales that we were coming in we could guesstimate our own valuation but you need something official to be able to navigate this like very official split right and so at that meeting we agreed upon it we agreed upon it um be, to do a financial audit because that's the only natural step you have to do that in order to handle this split so then at that point that was like their trigger basically that you were you the one that requested that yeah i requested the financial yeah. audit and right. actually my because we had always done things in like such a family way and we just trust each other based on word of mouth. We have very little paper trail about anything um, that happened between us within the company because it's all very much verbal throughout the years. 
And so I remember going home from that meeting that day and I was like telling my dad, like, oh, the conversation finally happened. Yeah. They brought it up. They brought it up. This is what they told me. And I was like, oh, that's surprising that they would bring it up at this time. Okay. Yeah. Um, because to be honest with you, we've only, we only got one year of dividends. I only ever got one year of dividends before this all happened. I am not like some like multi-majillionaire. No, yeah. everything, everything was reinvested back into the company. We barely took any money out. And so my dad was like, okay, it's odd that it'd be happening at this time. Like you guys only got like one year of dividends. Like this yeah. is still growing at this point. And you are and, a little part of that growth. So yeah, yes, strange. Mm -hmm. And then, so my dad was like, Carol, you need to send out an email. You need to make sure that you have this on paper, that they agree to the financial audit. Yes. I was like, no, 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 they agree. They know that this is a natural next step. I mean, we have to do this in order to like, but I was like, send the email, do it. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I sent out the email to recap about the financial audit and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that that was the trigger. I wow. do believe that that was the trigger because who is the CFO of our company? Who is the only person who has ever touched the financials of yeah. anything ever? Yeah. And then, so if you think about it logically, and then seven days later, I get blindsided just out of nowhere like this. And I'm just like, what is going on? And I remember that week leading up to me leaving at me leaving for the cruise, I was trying to set up the whole company to ensure that in my one week of absence that like, you know, the company would still run all of my teams and everybody knew all their tasks and everything they, they were doing. And I was just operating as normal. And I would, you know, send my usual emails to, um, to, to the finance, to the accounting department to request like XYZ, like PDFs or papers, documents for certain like deals or stuff that, that, that I was still negotiating for the company. And then, like, every time I would send an email that week to accountant, like, our head accountant would, like, scurry into my office and was like, Carol, what, what, what do you need this P&L for? Is, is this for the audit? Is this for the audit? And I was like, chill. Like, I'm not even, I haven't even found an auditor. I'm not even going to get to that until after I come back right. from vacation. Like, it's going to take no a while rush. to interview, like, a lot of people. Yeah, and I was like, and, and we had, because we had agreed, we all agreed to run the business as usual, as normal, until we figured out what to do with this baby and how we were going to divvy it up. That's what yes. we agreed to. So with that reaction, I, I remember thinking like, chill, like I don't have time this week to like look broader. Like I'm going to do yeah. that. Like when I get back from the cruise, like calm down. And also just so people understand this cruise that you were going on was supposed to be with them, right? You guys were supposed mm -hmm. to be going as friends, family, mm -hmm. all together. And then last minute they pulled out, right? Yes. Yes. So Dalby and I were huge Disney nerds and we've been taking our kids to Disneyland always. It's kind of like our thing. Mm -hmm. And we finally made money. We finally made money that we were able to, you know, take our families on vacations. We both of our both of our families, we had sacrificed so much of our time with our children to build up this business. And, you know, this was the fruits of our labor. And so six months prior, I think it was around like um, November, I had I was like, okay, spring break and I found the itinerary which is exactly the week of my kids our kids spring break and I was like let's do it let's go and then so we had planned that out six months prior and then literally at the end of that meeting um on um on um April 8th I remember I was like oh okay great so you know we'll just figure this out and thank you so much you know I'm so glad that we were I remember saying like I'm so glad that we were able to like have this conversation this way because honestly I was I've been dreading 
discussing about this topic and I'm so happy that we're able to do this in such a way where, you know, there's not going to be that nastiness. And then I remember turning around to leave and then Michael's like, oh, oh my Carol, actually, we're not going to be able to go on the cruise next week. Do you think you can help us cancel? And at that time, I was like, why? And then they were like, oh, you know, it's just so busy at the company with all these new staff and all these new things. Like, it's just, it's just not good for all of us to leave and leave the company. Just like nobody's watching it. So you, you guys, you guys can still go. It's just, it's just we're not going to be able to go. I thought it was really, really, really odd. But then yeah. at that point, I was like, okay. Yeah. And I literally, and you know, this is the audacity of these people. They knew that they were going to do this to me and they still had me be their slave to go cancel the shit. And like, why couldn't you guys have canceled the shit yourself? Do you know how many hoops I had to jump through to get them a full 100% refund seven days out of a cruise? Literally unheard of. Unheard of. Yeah, exactly. Because no one cancels seven days out. Like, yeah, yeah. It's literally all your money is taken away. Like, no, but I was literally on hold for them for hours on end and like vouching for them and like trying to get their money back for them. That's like crazy. idiot, biggest idiot ever. Like just. Wow. So the day, was it the day that you were leaving or the day before when you got the email? So Friday, my kid's spring break started on that good Friday. Right. And then, okay. so I had already taken that Friday off. I had planned um, and had taken um, both of my sons, like their best friends, along with us to um, to the Bobo Fest show. And I was literally driving on the freeway, literally down the five freeway to Orange County. And I get I, I message pops up from my best friend who had been working at the company. She texted and she was like, I just got terminated. And I'm like driving on the freeway. I'm like, what? Is this a joke? And then she goes, no, it's not. They said that you're next. And I was like, wait, what? They told her that you were next? Oh, my yes. gosh. So what had happened was that oh, she, uh, yeah, they literally had pulled her into a meeting with the lawyers and then fired her there and then had her escorted to her desk and like as if she was some common criminal yeah. and then watched her as she like packed everything and didn't allow her to take anything else at all and literally escorted her out, out, out the front door and they were like okay Carol's next like and then she was like check your email and I'm literally driving on the freeway like with one hand and I checked my email and that termination letter came in and I was like what is happening like what is happening like I literally my world started spiraling and I'm just like okay let me let me me, like get there let me get there and then let's figure this out right and literally that was kind of how it all happened and I was my mind was blown I was like yeah my 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 world literally just ended in that very moment yeah where did you still go on that cruise with your kids I did. I mean, because I wasn't about to waste my money that I had spent on a vacation that I definitely wasn't going to be able to talk my way into a 100% refund two days out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, okay. Mm -hmm. So you still own a portion of the company technically, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So right now, as of right now, are you trying to, like, get, you know, like, let go of that portion of the company and get paid out or do you want to keep your portion of the company so 
since <laughs> April 15th. Yeah. And I got my last check mailed in with my information. Yeah. I've literally not seen a single penny from the business. Not a single penny at all whatsoever. Now, as an S-Corp, anybody who's run an S-Corp knows that there's hefty prepayment taxes that need to be paid on future earnings for the future years. Mm -hmm. I'm now delinquent with IRS for hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax payments that I cannot pay because I've seen zero dollars from the business. Mm-hmm. But okay, yeah. yes, that's right. So as a shareholder, you have your own taxes that you have. I to have pay. responsibility exactly. that I have to pay. Exactly. Okay. Um, and typically, what shareholders do in this type of situation, they get money from the company because we're paying on the company's earnings, right? So the company has to give us right. money to like pay those taxes technically, and that's always how it was before. Now, when this happened to me, I mean, yeah. And so after this all happened, I was like, okay, what? Well, well, I guess my only option is to get a fair amount for my my portion and I guess restart my life. Yeah. Two weeks after I get sued. I, I thought I thought that's what I was okay. I'm gonna get go on this plan, get get what get the most that I can get for my for my one third share, restart my life. That's what I thought. That's what was going on in my in my head during the cruise. Yeah. Then two weeks after I come back from the cruise. I get sued and as I'm reading the lawsuit I'm like mind blown like it's it's yeah. truly mind blowing because um 95% of what was said in the lawsuit is a complete sham and a complete lie and from what I from what I read I didn't read all of the things but <laughs> mm-hmm. from what I read and what I could kind of understand um mm-hmm. cuz there was a lot of technical you know legal mm-hmm. jargon in there but mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of the things it seems like they were just trying to beat you to the punch almost like like a lot of the things that would be accusations about them were put on you right they accused me of embezzling they mm-hmm. accused me of stealing money they accused me of xyz yeah. um and they accused me of causing so much damage to the company that it, it, we, the profits dropped and i was like are these people living on planet Mars? Because if you literally just do a very simple financial audit of the sales of that year, I literally grew the company by 60%. Yeah. In, like sales numbers, literally. So yeah. I'm not entirely sure where all of this evidence or this data that you guys are pulling your shit from is coming from, but it literally goes against literally what has happened in real life. Now, did we invest heavily in the company in that one year? Oh, you bet. That was the one year we started. We increased the staff to that level. We started. We invested heavily into like a new ERP system and new all these things. And so there was a lot of expenditures out that year that wasn't that didn't happen in the first six years. Yeah. So will that will that will those expenditures then affect the profit margin that you then needs? Of course, that will. But yeah. does that mean that the business suffered and the business didn't grow? Mm-mm. No, you guys are not. Yeah. You guys don't know your numbers. You guys don't know how business works. Because that um, was all and, done to support the profits you were making, yeah. like so that you could yeah. handle it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a sacrifice that you make in this year and th- in which you hope to recoup in the next couple of years once your strategy is then realized. Right, right. And so I would hardly call that as a loss to the company because the company still made astronomical profits as compared to the year before. Yeah. 
And so when I read, and did you read the last um, page of the lawsuit in which they are claiming a half a million dollars of damages that they want me to pay them? Have you ever heard of that? When my dad read that, my dad literally died of laughter. My dad was like, wow, think of all of the different CEOs that have been, that have been at other companies that maybe they have all these massive scandals or whatnot. They're literally paid out the wazoo and given like these yes. reference packages to quietly go away. Right. They did no, the exact no, no, opposite no. with you. <laughs> so to them, not only do I get nothing for going away, I now need to pay them and reimburse them. Okay, you think that the CEO did a bad job? Pony up. Wow. What? Like, what? Like, what are these people thinking? Like, I, I literally cannot make this stuff up. I literally cannot make this stuff up. They literally just like walk themselves into this nightmare that they've created for themselves because it's like if you if they had just like tried to do it the right way or or like you said try to pay you severance or something. But now they've opened this whole can of worms because it's like the audacity, the audacity for you to come and do all of this when Mm -hmm. you were the backbone of the company and you grew Mm -hmm. it to that point. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just insulting, honestly. I I mean, if if you were me, I would just be insulted because this is incredibly. Yeah, incredibly. It's, you know, my biggest gripe with this whole thing. Yeah. Is how it was handled. Right. I know that I shot myself in the foot four years ago when I when I allowed myself to be manipulated into signing that shitty ass deal. I know that. I've accepted that. But it didn't have to be handled in this way. You don't have to stab someone. You don't have to throw a nuclear bomb at them. You don't have to do it in this way right. to then try to take everything. At least let the person be able to survive. Right. At least let the person be able to continue on with their lives. Right. That that's just so crazy. Like it's it's insane, honestly. Like in in especially be considering the type of relationship you all had for them mm-hmm. to want to put you in this position. And mm-hmm. now it's like you are just trying to figure out a way out of this hole that they've created mm-hmm. for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't blame you. I don't blame you for coming out with your story, sharing everything, because that's what that's the one thing you have left is your story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like mm-hmm. th- that's insane. I was trapped under fear for this last year. I had no idea any of these things could happen to me. So I was so trapped under fear. I was like, oh my goodness. What else could happen to me? I was so afraid that they would just sue me into oblivion for all these different things and that I would, I would lose what little I had left to continue to take care of my kids. And I was just waiting. I was waiting. I was like, okay, let's just resolve this. Let's, let's just figure this out. Let's just like end this as soon as we can and just all move on with our lives. And then nothing happened. It was literally delay after delay after extension after extension after extension after extension after extension. And I'm sitting here telling my lawyer, like, um, when are we ever going to like talk about mediation? When are we ever gonna talk about these things? Like, when are we ever gonna get to that point? Can we do the audit now? Like I Right. So you can move on. And but this is what happens when you tell one lie in the beginning. When you tell one lie in the beginning, you then need to tell a million other lies to cover the original lie. And the thing about it is that they are trying to do their ultimate best to avoid the financial audit 
in any way that they can. Hence yeah. the delays, hence the extensions. Yeah. Because they don't want me to get to the point where I can do the financial audit. They want me to go bankrupt. Yeah. Um, before we can, before I can force it to that point. Because right. they know that the minute they do the audit, that all those lies will come to the surface. I'm, I'm certain of it. Oh, yeah. I, Absolutely. Spent this last year investigating and I know my shit and that's why now I feel comfortable coming out to tell my story because I know that I'm not lying I yeah. know that these it's not just only my truth mm -hmm. and my side of the story this is literally the very realistic facts of what happened yeah in the situation it's not a subjective story it's literally the cold hard truth of exactly how it happened yeah so since you since you posted your tiktok videos i know that that's mm -hmm. ruffled their feathers and they sent you like a mm -hmm. cease and desist and all this stuff but mm -hmm. um has that sped up any momentum in the case at all or no it has sped up momentum on my side okay okay <laughs> they think they they think that they're the only people that can send out lawsuits. They think that they're the only people who can sue people. Mm. Okay. okay. <laughs> this is a two-way street. This is a two-way street. Um, and I don't know why they ever thought that this was a good idea because they've been business partners with me for seven years. They know me. Yeah. They know my personality. They know that I never give up. They know that I'm a firecracker. They know that I have a big mouth. They know that I will never stop yeah. fighting for what is right and what is mine. Yeah. As as you should. Like, of course. This is this they... is something that you really built from the ground up and you deserve what you you know, you like you deserve to get whatever it is that's owed to you and then some for your troubles mm -hmm. and time wasted mm -hmm. and all of that. So is there mm -hmm. anything that people that are like watching or that follow you, support you, is there anything that they can do to help? Like what can what can we do to support you? I first and foremost, I want to thank everybody so, so, so much for the outpouring of support that I have received. When I posted it on TikTok, I, I literally, again, so naively, did not ever expect that this was going to happen. I've been telling my story on my Instagram for the last year. And it was the same 20 friends that knew me and knew the situation already. And it was not getting out there. I was, you know, I was really kind of like a little bit sad and depressed after that. That's like, oh, I've been left in the dust. Nobody remem remembers me anymore. Nobody even notices that I'm gone. Like nobody even notices changes or anything. And I was really in that like boohoo, like victim, like, oh, like all of my efforts, no, it, it, it accounted for nothing. Like nobody has seen any of it. It's just completely unappreciated. And I was really trapped under that mentality for a long time. And I was posting on Instagram and it wasn't picking up traction. And I was like, okay, all right, well, it is what it is. And then, so I, now in this year, I need to find ways to survive. I need to find ways to build up my new business. I need to find ways to make money. And while I was, I have, I have been developing on my new line and my new business that I will be rolling out soon this, and I've been working on this last six months, but I am, I have received nothing from the company and I literally, if people were to see my bank account at this point and see how I, my children and I had been surviving this last couple months, it's 
it's it's it's exactly the same as what happened to me after my husband passed away. Um, things are bad, and so I have to find a way to make income. And I wanted to somehow create a platform in which I would, you know, perhaps give consulting advice because this last several months I have been working as um consultant, uh, doing consulting for like various other businesses, like my friends' businesses and other people who have reached out to me. Um, and I was like, okay, you know what? I can do this. I can do this. I can give other people advice. I can help them and grow their business. And so truly that first video, uh, that was what the intention was, was actually to build up my TikTok um, as a consulting page. Once those messages started coming in, it literally hit me like a ton of bricks because that was the missing piece. That was a, a huge piece that I was so depressed about for so long. And I sort of blamed everybody else and thought that like, oh, they didn't care about me, that I'm just insignificant. But I realized that it's not really their fault. They didn't know the story. They didn't know what had happened. And so once the story got out there and the support came in, I was completely just floored. I was so touched. I was so touched. And it was all this tension and all this everything that had been bottling up for this last year just all came out because I felt validated. I felt supported. And I, I really needed that. I really, 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 really needed that. It was so healing in mm -hmm. so, so, so many ways. And I really, 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 really want to thank everybody who has reached out um, in the form of leaving a comment um, or sending me, a, you know, people have sent me like long messages, long emails, showing their support um, and really giving me their, their, their well wishes. And it's nothing like anything I could have ever imagined. And I just want to thank everybody. Oh. And so in doing so, a lot of people have asked, Carol, how can we help you? Can we start a GoFundMe? You need to start a GoFundMe. We'll help you. Yeah. I've never been one to ask for help. I don't feel right, you know, starting a GoFundMe or anything. I think that's the best way that everybody can show support um, is to, if they want to, to support my new brand, support my new brand and support my new businesses that will be launching in June. Um, and that is the biggest form of support that I could ask of everybody. Um, I would love to exchange my ideas and my products that I created, um, in exchange for, for money. And it's great. I don't, I don't want people to, you know, donate free money or anything because I want them to also get something back, um, for the support, um, that they're giving out. Can you give us like a hint as to what the new brand will be or like what the product is? So there's so many things that I wanted to do with Gel X that mm -hmm. I was not able to realize uh, while I was there. And I'm free now. That was the one of the most beautiful things that happened. Um, that was a result of this all happening last year was I'm free. Yeah. I'm free. I truly, truly, truly get to do what I want to do in the way that I think is the best way to do it. And I no longer have to push this like heavy boulder up uphill um, in order to achieve it. And so there's a lot of new exciting developments um, on the soft shell extension front that I'm going to be rolling out um, very soon. And I'm so excited to hear that because all of us that, you know, love, the gel X nail extensions. Um, mm -hmm. we don't necessarily want to, you know, support opera anymore. So we are like, mm -hmm. who do we buy from? So, so I actually have another very exciting development, not only for the professional side, actually very, very exciting development for you, 
and your friends and this entire market of target end users. So I will be launching something that is specifically designed for the regular end user market, which is a comparable and a comparable product to Gelex in which you'll be able to do something similar, but with an even an extra layer of added convenience than the current Gelex system, because truly the current Gelex system is truly a full professionals only product. It is a gel product um, that contains professional gel formulations that is really only suitable to be used and operated by trained and licensed nail technicians. And a lot of negative consequences can happen when professional level products are used improperly by untrained individuals. And I'm hopeful that my new launch of my new retail brand is going to, you know, counteract and fix a lot of those issues. So I'm very, very excited. I will definitely send you uh, a sample kit to try out once my samples come in. And I can't wait to hear your feedback. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm like, I can't wait. I'm, uh, put me on the wait list. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Number one, you're number one on that list. Yes, please. Oh my gosh. Okay, so everybody that's listening, if you love Gel X, just wait for Carol's brand to come out because that is who we're now shopping with um yeah uh, duh like who else no we're not we're not on that team anymore we're on your team now (laughs) yes so okay so this is a question I always ask everybody that comes on the show because this is the wealthy woman podcast so I have to ask you what does it mean to you to be a wealthy woman What it means for me to be a wealthy woman is to be well-rounded in many, many different areas. If you only have money, you only have a very big number in your bank account, you're just rich. You're just rich in money. But in order to be a wealthy woman, you need to be rich in all areas of your life, not just the number in your bank account. And this means that you're rich in health. You're rich in your support system, your friends, your family around you. Um, you're rich in personal happiness. Um, you're a, a wealthy person can not only just have a big number in a big account, but just be completely de- depleted in their mind, body, and soul of energy and uh, of everything. Um, and so that's what it means to be a wealthy woman is to be well-rounded in all of it entire aspect all of the different factors in different areas in your life that make you one whole human being and it's that harmonious balance um it's that harmonious balance that to me makes you feel like a wealthy woman i love that that's beautiful okay so where can people find you how can we continue supporting you you know after this and and how can we book you for consulting so I've, I, I've had a lot of people reach out to me about that, and I'm really actually excited um, to do that. I'm trying to figure out a system in which I will be able to, you know, carve out a little bit of, of my available time to be able to, to provide this type of consulting um, to to others. So, you know, continue to follow me on TikTok, and Beauty Carol Official, um, and also on my IG, Beauty Carol. And I will be posting any new updates or any new anything on these two platforms. Yay! Okay, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was such a pleasure. And I'm so happy you got to tell your full story. And hopefully Mm -hmm. this was like, 
a good closing to, you know, this part of your healing, you know? I actually think that this is a great beginning. Oh, I actually think that, (laughs) yes, actually, I I, thank you so much for having me um, on the show. This was quite therapeutic. (laughs) This entire session was quite therapeutic for me. Um, And I actually truly believe that this is the beginning. This is the beginning of my healing journey. This is the beginning of me um, getting my justice. And I have complete faith. I have complete faith in our justice system that I will get the justice that I am fighting so hard for. Thank you for your vulnerability. We really appreciate it.